Let's go. Hey, here we go with Larry Fitzgerald. We're going to laugh. We're going to have a lot of fun. We got the best analyst, the great Charles Barkley. Brings a smile to your face when you see him on TV. Being around him, nobody has a better time. I know we're looking forward to being able to talk to your buddy, your Arizona running mate there, uh, Charles Barkley. Uh, But let's start the show uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum. You lost a dear friend, and, and I know that's hit you hard this weekend. It's been very difficult, Jim. Uh, you know, I've known Demarius since he was at college at Georgia Tech. We've formed an um, unbelievable relationship, and uh, you know, it just breaks my heart to even be having this conversation with you. Um, the toll is taken on not only me, but you know, my NFL brother, and it's been uh, immense. And it was really nice to see the tributes paid to him, and in Denver, and across the league, and the decals and the helmets, and. Um, no, he was a special man, Jim. He really, really was. Uh, he would do anything for you, take the shirt off his back. He came to many of my charity events, play catch with my kids. You know, he would always go the extra mile for people he really cared about. And um, as we approach the holiday seasons, um, you know, it just really makes you just appreciate the relationships that you have, you know, your friends, your children, your family. Um, and, you know, if you listen to this show, just reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while. Tell them you love them, you're thinking about them. And, Brace your kids, your wives, your husbands. Um, you know, it's an important time during this, during this season. Gone too soon and way too special of a man. We will all miss him dearly. And to his family and to his friends, our heartfelt condolences and, and sympathies go out for the great number 88, Demarius Thomas. There is no good way to make a transition and to honor the life of Demarius Thomas. But we will go forward, and we are going to laugh, and we're going to have a good time. We got Charles Barkley. Just that name, Larry. That's got to bring a smile to your face. Absolutely. man. I love Charles. I've known him a long, long time. My dad introduced him to me when I was a child as a, as a, as a ball boy um, when he played against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, you know, what he's meant to me, uh, the relationship, um, you know, has always been so open and transparent great line of communication between us and uh you know for him to be able to join us today it means a lot to me we'll bring charles on when we return right here on sirius xm stay with us jim gray larry fitzgerald on let's go hey everyone lindsey rhodes here and if you love football you're gonna love my podcast the nfl roadshow with episodes monday wednesday and friday we cover every nfl angle and talk to guests from across the nfl world hall of famers analytics nerds and i say that lovingly as someone who wants to be an analytics nerd very badly fantasy football experts all of it their discussions you're not going to find anywhere else so please subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the sxm app included with most subscriptions Welcome back to Let's Go. I'm Jim Gray along with Larry Fitzgerald as we get ready to welcome in the great Charles Barkley. Let's Go is brought to you by Mastro's Steakhouse. A trip to Mastro's is a culinary adventure. Experience the good life with handcrafted cocktails, exceptional steaks, and the freshest seafood. Visit Mastro's.com for locations and reservations. Larry, we got a guest, your buddy over there in Phoenix, the great Chuckster, Charles Barkley. Chuckster, what's happening? Man, I want to thank you guys for having me. You know, Jim, when I'm driving around, I hear you bragging all the time that you got Larry and Tom, so I'm excited to be on. Well, now we're bragging we got you. When Larry reaches out to me, it's always going to be a yes. 
I, I promise you that. Well, man, Uncle Chuck, I, I really appreciate you jumping on with us. It means a great deal. As you know, I've, you know, I've known you 20 plus years. You've always been good to me and my dad. And, um, you know, it's, it's always love. And I, I'm very thankful that you would jump on with us today. Well, as I tell you all the time, uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to watch your, your career. You're the greatest athlete in Arizona history. And I got to see it uh, close up. So, man, thanks for having me. And, Jim, we've been friends a long time. Uh, I think since the 80s. I don't remember what year, but we've probably been, we've been together since the 80s. Hey, man, you've had a wonderful career. Uh, I'm proud of your success, and I'm proud to call you a friend. Vice versa. And we've had so much fun. Uh, in my book, Talking to Goats, I said, by far and away, the most entertaining and the most fun I have had has been with Chuckster Charles Barkley. And, and Charles, you, you, make, you make Inside the NBA so much fun that it's become just a, just a great show. In fact, I think it's the best sports show on television, and it's not even always about basketball. How have you managed to keep people so entertained now? I mean, I remember when you burst on the scene as the round mound of rebound in Philadelphia, and everybody would laugh at your post game. and I was doing the Sixers games, and and so forth, and Dr. J and everybody, and everybody gravitated to you. How have you managed to maintain that now for 35, 40 years where everybody wants to hear from you and see you? Well, I think it, you touched on it a little bit. It's not always about basketball. I think you have to understand something. When, when, I, we, when we tell people why we try to have so much fun, Jim, we're on from 7 to 2 o'clock in the morning. Nobody <laughs> wants to talk about basketball that long. Even me who love playing it for a living. So when you're on from seven to two in the morning, you hope, first of all, you hope both games are great, but you, your worst nightmare, both games suck. And you're like, how can we make people enjoy these six or seven hours? And I think there's so many great people working at T. Obviously me, Kenny, Shaq, and Ernie get most of the credit, but really the people behind the scenes do most of the work. But what we really try to do, man, is make people have fun watching basketball. Nobody wants to watch basketball all those hours and let me X and O on the depth. You know, I mean, I could sit there and talk about the pick and roll, the hedge, the over under, uh, the, the elbow jumper, the zone, the one, two, one zone, the one, two, two zone, the one, three, one zone. Nobody wants to talk about that all night. People want to have fun when they watch sports. As we continue with Charles Barkley, I'm Jim Gray, along with Larry Fitzgerald. Let's Go is brought to you by GoldenNuggetCasino.com. Play your favorite slot or table games like Blackjack, Roulette, and so much more. Download the app onto your phone or play online at GoldenNuggetCasino.com. you got to be 21 years of age or older. It's available only in Michigan and New Jersey. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-270-7117 or 1-800-GAMBLER. Coming soon to your state. That's GoldenNuggetCasino.com. Charles, I was going to ask you, when you guys first started the show 20 years ago, I mean, we had the privilege of watching, you know, the 20-year, uh, you know, kind of rundown and ups and downs, the laughs, the sad times. Uh, how long did it take you guys to really get into your groove and kind of find your niche? You know what I mean? Because it, it it's, it's unorthodox because you guys don't really have, hey, I want you guys to touch on this. I want you to talk about that. It kind of lets you guys have the stage and you guys run with it. You know, how long did it take you to really kind of get your footing with it? Well, that's a great question because it, it was actually, it's, it's a twofold answer because in the beginning, it was me, Kenny and Ernie. And I think it was like that for like the first 10 years or more. 
But then we had to we had to do revamp when Shaq came on. So we've had two really new shows starting out. But I think the main thing was we decided, like, guys, we 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 want to talk about basketball. But the reason I took the job at TNT, Larry, to be honest with you, so I originally had some, my mentor is Dick Ebersol. He's the reason I'm on television. He's he I credit him with a lot of my success. He, but so I originally signed to go to NBC. Actually, me and Jim would have been working together. Do you remember who contacted you to ask you to talk to Dick Ebersol? Uh, I don't. Did you do that? <laughs> Boy, you got a bad memory when you don't want to remember shit. It, dude, <laughs> it was it was 21 years ago. I don't remember what I did like one month ago. Uh, um, no, so uh, I originally signed with NBC, to be honest with you, Larry. And then a friend of mine, Michael Jackson, said to me, he said, I need a favor. He says, I'm working at different TNT. Michael Jackson. This was the Michael Jackson from TNT, not not the first great of all. Singer. He did he did not think it was damn moonwalk Michael Jackson asshole. He did not think Michael Jackson the singer called me and told me to come to TNT. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so Larry, uh, so Larry Michael said to me, "Hey, it'll make me look good if you come and meet with the people at TNT." And I said, "Of course, dude. I'll do you a favor." So we go out to dinner. We have a great dinner. We're sitting around smoking cigars and we're like talking. I said, and I hadn't, I didn't tell them I had signed with TNT. They said, what are, what are you looking for in a TV network? I said, well, I want to talk about basketball, but if any of the social issues come up, I'm on, I'm, that's my goal to talk about social issues on television. Not all the time, because people don't want to talk about social issues doing sports all the time. People who are having a bad day at work have uh, or having issues at home, they want to turn on an event to relax. And I said, but I got to reach a common ground being able to talk about social issues. And they're like, well, you're not going to be able to do that on any other network. And I says, what do you mean? It's just, well, the NBA is kind of tight laced. We probably got more freedom than any other network. And I said, wow. So you're telling me I can talk about social issues when they happen. So they dropped me off at the hotel around midnight. I, I, I try to go to bed, Larry. About three o'clock, I wake up. I says, man, damn, I got to go to TNT. I call my agent. He says, what's wrong? I says, I think I need to sign with TNT. He said, what you want me to do? I says, I'll handle it. I'll call, I'll call Mr. Ebersol tomorrow. He said, why don't you think about it? Sleep on it. I said, okay, that's a good idea. I went to bed for like another two hours, Larry. And it's like 5, 36 in the morning. I says, I'm going to TNT. And I want to tell you, that was the hardest phone call because Dick had talked me into going into television. But he was so awesome and gracious. And every time I see him, I just give him a hug and tell him, hey, man, thank you for the best decision, that I, I, me coming to TNT. But he was awesome and, and graceful. And that's how the whole thing actually came together. And the best thing about it, Larry, I was a Jim's teammate. That was the best thing about not going to NBC. <laughs> and Charles, to follow up on that that answer, you know, I find that really unique that you wanted to have the freedom to be able to address the social issues. When you guys are discussing, you know, your agendas, you know, on Tuesdays, how how do you like gauge what is is worthy of getting on and being discussed? You know, what what is the threshold of the, of the magnitude of an event? Well, that's a great question also. It has to be a big deal because, Larry, you could actually nitpick and talk about something all the time. 
But like I say, people don't turn on sports to get beat over the head with social justice and social initiatives. Mm -hmm. So we try to make sure it's like a nationwide thing or a really big deal. Because the last thing you want to do, like I say, if you wanted to, you could pick up something every single week and talk about it. But people don't turn on sports for that that situation. But we are we are very selective. And you know, the last couple of years have been interesting with guys standing and sitting and kneeling doing the national anthem. There's some into NBA teams boycotting games and things like that. So that that when that stuff happens, we have no choice. But we we prefer to stay out of most stuff because, like I say, it's something that happens in this country every week, every day that people could talk about. But the main thing is, man, people are turning us on to laugh and joke and watch a bunch of guys dribble a stupid basketball, which I love basketball. Basketball has given me every single thing in my life. I mean, you know, Larry, I'm 58 years old. I've never had a real job. I've been blessed to play in the NBA for 16 years. I've been on TV for 21 years now. So I love basketball and I want the fans to enjoy the game. But we have to be very careful to make sure the game is the most important thing. I'm Jim Gray, along with Larry Fitzgerald. He's Charles Barkley. Let's Go is brought to you by USAA Insurance. We're dedicated to helping the military community protect what they've worked hard for with insurance that meets their high standards. Get the coverage you deserve. USAA Insurance. USAA! So how have you managed that that tightrope, which you've done so well, of being able to be entertaining deal with all of these issues, yet you're one of the few guys who will step out and criticize your friends, people who you genuinely care about, genuinely in some instances love, and you'll say, hey, you're not getting it done either on the court or on the golf course or in management. And you've been willing to risk friendships over that because you've owed it to your job, as you've said. How did... How did you come to that conclusion and have the wherewithal to want to do that? Well, Jim, obviously I've had some friends I've lost because things I said about them on television, but you know what? I have to do my job. One of the reasons I don't like some reporters, you can tell when they don't like certain guys, they go overboard to criticize them. And you can tell when they like certain guys. And they won't criticize them. And they get them, like, if I believe if two guys do the exact same thing, whether the guy's a friend of mine or not, I have to criticize them. If, how can I give my friends a hall pass? That's not fair. And that's not right. So for me, I don't ever want to criticize a friend. I mean, I'm not an animal. I mean, I don't get on TV and says, let me pick out one of my friends or somebody I like. But... Those people at home, they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And they know when you're lying. And the one thing I don't want to do, I never want to put myself in a situation that you see all the time. Some reporters, you're like, they say stuff just to get clickbait. You know, Larry and Jim, and Jim, you've been in this, seen it better than anybody. Television is probably, and radio and whatever you want to talk about, has probably changed 100 degrees for you. In my little short time between the internet, social media, and things like that, it's changed. But probably from when you started, Jim, it's probably 
three, you talk about 360, it's probably like five, 700 to you. But I've noticed in my little short time, we went from guys talking to the press, being friendly with guys till no, nah, we don't talk to guys. I got something to say. I'm going to say it on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook or something like that. But I always tell people, I'm talking to the fans. I'm not talking to my friends. I'm not trying to be friends with the NBA. I really want to do my job well. And what, what, what makes me feel good about my job, when people walk up to me and says, hey, I might not agree with you, but I don't think you're out trying to get clickbait. I think you're giving an honest, fair opinion. And that means the most to me, to be honest with you, Jim, when people say it. When I love when people say, hey, I might not agree with you, but I don't think you said this or this so people will click on to your story. And I would never do that because unfortunately in our country, people believe if they see something on television, it's true. And Jim, me and you've been around long enough to know most of the guys we know on television are full of shit. <laughs> hey, I, I, and listen, I learned this when I was in Philadelphia. Some of the biggest media people in the country were friends of mine and we play golf and they would say to me, I said, what you going to talk about today? He's going to say, well, I'm going to say this. I said, you don't believe that. He says, no. He said, Charles, you don't understand. My job, I got to be on the radio for four hours. My job is to get these people to call in and argue with me for four hours. And I was like, what? He said, Charles, sports talk, it's a business. And, and I was, and this is going back to the late eighties, early nineties, when I was really in Philly and friends with the guys, or I'd go there and play. And I, cause I always live in Philly during the summer cause it's too hot to be in Arizona. But some of my best friends, some of the biggest media personalities in Philadelphia say, yeah, I'm going to talk about this today. And I was like, for real? He's like, Charles, I really don't think most people don't understand. My job is to get people to call in for four hours a day and argue with me pro and con. And I was like, wow. So that's how this thing works. But I think television is such a visual medium. When people see your face, and when I say something about this guy, this guy, they're going to believe it. So I try to make sure that I never lie on television. It is a totally different planet from when we first were doing this, you and I together back in the <laughs> early 80s, and for me, all the way back to the 70s. There was a, just a different rapport and, and a different way of going about things. And obviously the internet and social media has changed all of that. Wondering when you have to suffer the consequences of losing those friends, and, and it's well publicized, what's happened with you and Michael Jordan and, and Tiger Woods. How much does well, that well, hurt you internally? Listen, well, let me just say this. The thing with Michael hurt me a lot because Michael was like a brother to me. Um, uh, he was like a brother to me. and But, you know... What I said was, I'm not sure Michael's ever going to be successful because he only hires his friends around him. And John, uh, Jim and Larry knows this. Y'all both know it. The toughest thing and the hardest thing when you become famous is making sure you surround yourself with people who are going to tell you no. Because you're gonna, they're going to be on your private jet. You're buying all the drinks. You're buying all the meals. So most of the people around you they're just going to kiss your ass and tell you what you want to hear. And that is very dangerous when you're a celebrity, especially now with the money is going through the roof and bless these young guys make as much as they can. 
But if you don't surround yourself with people who will tell you no, you're going to fail at this miserably because you need that. So it's been very painful losing Michael as a friend. The thing with Tiger, I have zero idea what happened with Tiger. I wish him the best. He's the greatest golfer ever lived. Uh, me and most of our friends who were good friends, and we haven't talked to him since the night of the accident. I um, mean, he kind of, I'm not sure. I, we actually, to this day, are not sure what happened. I've never had a crossword with Tiger. Every time I talk, I say, hey, this guy's the greatest golfer I, I ever. And I want him to win. I hope he comes back for his injury. I'm excited to watch him next week with his son. But me and Tiger have never had a crossword, and I am not sure what happened. But like I say, me and most of the friends we had with him, we have not talked to him since the night of the accident. So I really don't know anything what happened there. Now, like I say, you're talking about his accident with the fire hydrant, not the latest accident about eight or nine months. Yes, the fire hydrant. The fire hydrant. Yes, Uh, good call there, Jim. But, you know, the thing with Michael has been painful. But you know what? I have no regrets about doing my job, Jim. As we continue here on Sirius XM, I'm Jim Gray, along with Charles Barkley and Larry Fitzgerald. Let's Go is brought to you by Ring Alarm. It's true, Ring has an award-winning alarm with professional monitoring that you can install yourself in minutes. Go to ring.com forward slash let's go for a special offer on Ring Alarm today. That's ring.com forward slash let's go. Charles, I was going to ask you since we're on this topic, you know, I, you know, it's been well publicized with Scottie Pippen and his new book that's come out and what he's done to promote it and some of the people that he's alienated um, uh, over the last couple months. I wanted to get your opinion on that. Um, you know, where does the line need to be drawn between, you know, moving units and books to just, you know, incinerating relationships that you've had for the last 30, 30 plus years? Well, Scotty, to me, crossed the line that he can never get back from. The mean, nasty things he said about Michael. I know Michael. Michael ain't never going to forgive him. He took some shots at Phil Jackson. He he said something a little small about me. He said I was a fake tough guy. And I said, I, I didn't even know I thought I was a tough guy. I do know one thing. I'm tougher than his ass. So let's get that out the way. <laughs> but that's the only – so, but the stuff he said about Michael and Phil Jackson, I think if you won six championships together, you're – there's a bond there. I mean, you didn't win one lucky championship. You won six. Like, I can understand if you, if a guy, and I can say, I, I'm just hypothetical. If you won one championship, there's guys on the team you probably not that close with. Somebody got traded there for the year and, or they got traded afterwards. But if you win six championships together, like I say, I don't know, but there's got to be a special bond. Uh, there's got to be a special bond. I mean, that's an amazing accomplishment. And for you to trash the greatest player ever, in my opinion, no disrespect to Kobe, LeBron, them the only two guys, I think, in my opinion, you know, in that conversation with Bill Russell and uh, Kareem and, and Wilt. But I was – I first of all, I haven't read the book. I only read the excerpts. But some of the stuff he said about Michael was just really not cool at all. 
And I know that's how you sell books, Larry. But I would think personally, even if I had an issue with somebody, I would have probably tried to phrase it differently. Or I would say, you know what? We won six championships together. That little bit of money ain't worth me burning down the whole house. You said incinerated. He didn't incinerate. And he burned down the whole house and came back and make sure it was already. Hey, he came back the next day to make sure it was burnt down. <laughs> do, you, do you think that a lot of this was just the reaction of his disappointment and anger with the way that he felt he was treated in the last dance? And here's a guy sitting out on the sidelines, and then 25, 30 years later, he's getting hit over the head with a baseball bat over something that he had long buried? Well, I say this, Jim, about when people bring up stupid shit I've done in my life. I have to own it. I have to own it. Scotty did wait to the middle of the season to have surgery because he was upset about his contract. Uh, that wasn't Michael's fault. You know, yeah. I'll give you an example. I actually got caught in the exact same situation as Scotty. I probably got cheated out of probably $100 million. So if I remember the last dance correctly, me and Scotty probably were exact same situation. So my first agent was a crook. Um, so he stole all my money. So after four years, I was broke. I don't want to mention his name. Lance Lesnick, that's this asshole's name. So he, um, he stole, yeah. So he stole all my money. So after four years, I was broke. So I went to the Sixers and this before anybody started making a lot of money, you know, in the NBA, you can only get incremental, incremental raises every year. So I, I obviously I had no idea salaries were going to explode. So I ended up signing a, a 10 year deal. So I would at least have some money going forward in the rest of my life. And then like three years into my contract, guys went from making 2 million to 20 million. But the thing that's ironic about it, Michael at the time was probably my best friend. And we both talked about it. He's like, because Michael, Scotty actually was making more money than Michael. Nobody talks about that in the last dance. Because Michael didn't make any money until like when he went his last three or four years, and he went up to like $30 million a year. But before that, Scotty was making more money than him. He didn't talk about that in the book. But so I was in the exact same situation. But you know what? Me and Michael said, hey, guy, he said, Charles, we signed the deal. Shut the fuck up. Because there's guys now there's guys on the Sixers making more money than me. Then when I get traded to Phoenix, I'm like the fifth highest paid player on the team. But you know what? I signed the deal and I never, uh, and I win MVP and I'm still got three or four guys on the team making more than me. But you know what? You signed the deal. You signed the deal. So I don't know why Scotty is mad at Michael because, you know, his, I think his agent stole his money and he wanted some security. When you sign a deal, you sign a deal. And it is what it is. But that's not Michael's fault. And uh, so, listen, he, they can, he can have sour grapes. But, I, and listen, Jim, I'm not mad at him even being mad. 
But when you wait, I don't even know how long we've been retired. If you wait all these years and all of a sudden you happen to have a book coming out and you're like, well, if I just, I got to go big game hunt. So I might as well go for Phil and Michael. But that's the biggest games you can get. So I think that's what made us mad more than anything. If you had to said this five, 10 years, 15 years ago in an article, we'd be like, no, Scott is pissed. He's not happy with Michael. But he just happened to be coming out with a new book. I think that's what made everybody the maddest. You know, you, you, we're talking about money. You were talking about Scottie Pippen. And it reminded me of a line you said to me about 25 years ago, 20 years ago or so regarding money. He said, damn, I'm going to have to keep playing basketball. I said, why is that, Chuckster? He says, it, it's, it's just real tough on my mom. God rest her soul. She, she's having a real tough time living on $2 million a year on Leeds, in Leeds, Alabama. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's um, my mom, my, I was raised, I was raised by my mother and grandmother. They're two of the greatest love ever, but my mother was crazy. So <laughs> I was like, I started putting them on the payroll and my agent says, your mom needs some more money. I said, what? I said, well, I built her a house and I've given her a car she lives in a town with 2,000 people, and she makes $50,000 a year. What is she doing with her money? And and I call her, Mom, <laughs> you're probably, there's probably not more than 10, 15 people making more than 50 grand in my little hometown, and you don't have any bills. I pay all your bills. What are you doing with all your money? She's like, well, babe, I just have to keep buying stuff because I'm Charles Barkley's mom. I said, Mom, you don't have to keep buying stuff. I said, Mom, you, I, we used to laugh about it, but it was crazy, man. I said, Mom, you don't have to keep spending money just because you're my mom. And then one of the worst things about it, Jim, you know, most people don't know this. My mom, Shaquille O'Neal's mom, were best friends. So when she started hanging out with Shaquille's mom, and Shaquille was making like $100 million a year. And I had my NBA money and my TV money and Shaquille's mom was really great when my mom was passing away. She came, it's three of them. It's another lady named Miss Martha Carmen. They were three best friends. We used to call them the three amigos. They took vacations all the time. The only problem is when they took those vacations, when I got those bills, mom, you can't spend money like Shaquille's mom. Shaquille <laughs> makes a hundred million dollars a year. You cannot. She said, baby, I don't want her paying for everything. I said, she don't have to pay for everything. But let her pay for something. I said, cause, cause she, I said, cause she, Shaquille got way more money than we got. Way more. <laughs> How about Larry? Talk about money. How about Larry being a co-owner of the Phoenix Suns, your former team? I think it's great. I think when all these guys diversify their portfolio, I think the more we can have Larry front and center in, in Arizona, I think it's great for the brand. I'm proud of what they accomplished last year. I'm proud of what they accomplished this year. But Jim, I think that as a fan, when you go to a Suns game and you see part owner Larry Gerald, it's just great for his brand. Uh, you know, Larry has done some amazing things behind the scenes because 
he's he's done a fantastic job with his contracts first and foremost between him if it's agent they've done a fabulous job i've been watching from a distance for the last x amount of years but he seems like he's done a fabulous job investing and you know jim the one reason i talk to these young kids about financial responsibility first of all you got to learn the magic word no don't feel bad telling people no you don't have no moral obligation to take care of everybody in the hood. No, you don't. That's the reason 80% of professional athletes go broke. You don't have to take care of everybody. That, that's just not a This notion that you're my homeboy, I'm like, no, nah, dude, we were just born in the same neighborhood. <laughs> that does not mean I have to support you your whole career. And 80% of us go broke. I was determined not to do that. I know Larry is definitely not going to do that. But I love when these guys diversify their portfolio. You know, I had, we had, um, you know, I talked to Kevin Durant about that. You know, LeBron's done an amazing job. Obviously, Michael's done a fabulous job. Because no matter how great you are in your sport, it's only a real small window of your life. And that money you make when you plan, it's got to last you and your family for the rest of your life. I mean, everybody, when you retire, you're going to be a young person and you never know how much money you're going to need the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, hopefully. So you have to save. You know, I learned that from Dr. J at a young age. He said, son, why do you have seven cars? And he says, well, what do you mean? He says, you got like seven cars. Said, he says, can you drive more than one at a time? I said, no. He says, you know that money sitting in your driveway has got to last you the rest of your life. So now when I talk to young kids, I said, yo, man, get one car. That's all you need. One house, one car. Because even though you can afford a bunch of cars or you can afford a bunch of houses, that money's got to last you the rest of your life. And uh, that's what I, when I tell these young guys that, man, save your money. Like I said, no matter how great you are, you're only going to play a real small window in your life. Charles, do you still have a relationship with the gorilla? I mean, I know I I know you guys vacation together, anything like that? <laughs> the, the gorilla? Yeah. You guys have a relationship still? Yeah, we do. I actually just saw him. Uh, I went up to the Hall of Fame. I think you were there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw him and I hadn't seen him in, in a minute because, you know, Larry, I don't go to a lot of games. And we got to change that, Charles. We got to yeah. we got to change that. We got to change that. You know, because by, I feel by like the way, this. by the way, Charles is in the Hall of Fame three times. You're a three-time Hall of Famer. You're in the Hall of Fame as a player. You're in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster, and you're in the Hall of Fame for the Dream Team. So we know that you like seconds, but we didn't necessarily know that you like thirds. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I didn't even, listen. I think it's already a scam that they're paying me to watch basketball. Now they're giving me trophies and things. It's a scam. Yeah. Uh, but to get back to Larry's question, you know, when we put Cotton Fitzsimmons in the Hall of Fame a couple months ago, uh, the gorilla came up and spent some time with me. And I told him, uh, you know, probably the four best years of my basketball life. Well, actually three of them. I'm only going to count three of them. The last year sucked because they traded all the way to good players and left me there by myself. But my first three years in Phoenix were probably three greatest years of my life basketball wise because you know, I got so frustrated in Philadelphia because they had no clue what they were doing. Uh, and they screwed up 
well, they screwed up giving up the number one pick in the draft, and that put my Philadelphia career on the on the downside. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, I know I'm a great player, and I'm reading all these articles about how I'm not any good, and I'm the reason we're losing. I'm like, well, when before y'all traded with all the good players, we had good players. And I remember getting traded. And I remember I was at the Olympics. And Chuck Daly, rest in peace, said to me, we're talking one day. He says, can I talk to you for a second? I said, of course. He says, I want to tell you something. I said, what's up, coach? He says, you're the second best basketball player in the world. I says, wait, there's somebody better than me? Um, And we laughed about that. He says, watching you play basketball every day is one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. He says, if we need a basket, you can get it. We need a rebound, you can get it. You're, you got, you're a great passer. He says, I really enjoyed my time with you. I said, coach, that's the greatest thing anybody's ever told me. And I said, and it means a lot to me because my team in Philly has sucked like the last three years. And I, I was really starting to believe all this shit I was reading. So then I get traded to Phoenix and I'm like, they give me Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley. And I said, we got the best record in the world. And obviously we lose to the Bulls in championship. But then the next year, it was going to come down to us and the Houston Rockets because we were both the two best teams in the NBA. And we lost to those guys in seven games. So I knew uh, when they gave me some help, I said, it really restored my faith in myself because I was starting to think like, damn, maybe I can't play. But those three years where I had a legitimate chance to win a championship, I'm like, that's all I want. I mean, because uh, I've been around great players, you know, Patrick Ewing, Gary Payton, Reggie Miller. I'm on, clearly I'm going to miss some few. Carl Malone, John Stockton, where you can't – where you, like, that guy's a great player and he deserves the opportunity to win a championship. And I got stuck in Philly three years that we were awful – and then, when, like I say, those three, my first three years in Phoenix were the three best years uh, of my basketball career. Hey, by the way, when you were over there in Europe with the Dream Team uh, and you became uh, Sir Charles, what year exactly were you knighted uh, by Her Majesty the Queen? <laughs> you know, Jim, I've asked the funny. I've been asked that question quite a bit. I have no idea when my name became Sir Charles. It, it would, like, because um, it, it started out as the round mound, the rebound, and somewhere later, along the way, it became Sir Charles. And and I've had idiots ask me before, not that I'm calling you an idiot, like, did you get knighted? I'm like, no, fool. Somebody just called me Sir Charles somewhere <laughs> along the way, and it stuck. <laughs> yeah, but no, clearly I have not been knighted. Charles, I got a, I got a random question for you. I mean, I know you, you're a big Auburn fan. You, you've made no qualms about that. Uh, Bo yeah. Nix, starting quarterback over the last three years, that decided to, to graduate and transfer. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on that. And and also, do you think it was has anything to do with that uh, insurmountable object that's in Tuscaloosa that you guys could not seem to uh, to get by? Well, let's get one thing straight, Larry. We choked against Alabama. We just flat <laughs> out choked like dogs. That we should have won that game. You know, I was disappointed because, number one, his dad is an Auburn legend. He's a three-year starter, started as a true freshman. He's only got one year to go. I would, we, this year, even though we were six and six, we only had one bad game. With the exception of the Georgia game, 
we were either tied or had to lead in the fourth quarter of every single game this year, which tells me like a break here or there, we wouldn't have been six and six. But like I say, with the exception of Georgia, we were tied or had to lead in every fourth quarter of every other game of the year. And he missed the last two games following ankle surgery. And I was surprised with one year to go, why you want to go and learn another system? I, so, But I wish him luck because he's, he's, he's Auburn family because of his dad, and he gave us three good years. But, like, if I only got one year to go, I'm not sure I want to go and learn another system because he probably was guaranteed to be the starter. Uh, Because, like I say, he lost his job because he broke his ankle the last two weeks of the season. So he probably was going to be the favorite. It was probably going to be his job. Uh, But something tells me behind the scenes something was going on. Because, Larry, a lot of these people think we nitwits. So Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. They're right. They're right. They don't think. uh, They're right. You just just told us the public's much smarter than we think they are. So they're right. yeah, we're a lot smarter. I know me and Larry are, Jim. I don't know about you. So I'm looking. I'm laughing. And, and number one, I wish him both. I don't know Lincoln Riley uh, person, but I and I but I like Brian Kelly. But what makes me laugh is these dudes think they got the. They both played Saturday, and they want us to think that sometime between ten o'clock month Saturday night. By midnight, one, two, they both got $100 million deals to go to USC and Notre Dame. And they have been talking about that shit for a couple weeks. Please, we're not morons. I'm I'm just laughing like, well, we hadn't been talking to anybody. This just came together. I'm like, you don't put together $100 million deals where you got to get all that extracurricular stuff that's in contracts signed. The notion that overnight y'all came up with these deals, please, man. I just laugh sometimes. These people think we're just morons. Like, yo, man, just say you want to go to USC. Just say you want to go to LSU. But don't tell me you got that deal done overnight. I don't want to hear that. You think it's okay for the coaches to do that? You, you think that, that leaving all those kids behind, going in and recruiting uh, uh, on that that week, that weekend, talking to your players, one guy at the time competing for a national championship uh, doesn't have a Southern accent, then all of a sudden he has a Southern accent. I mean, this whole thing reeks. I mean, there's no there's no other way to say it. And I, I, I don't begrudge anybody for making money, but the whole thing just really stinks. You know, Jim... The toothpaste is out the tube. Now you got this NIL thing. The toothpaste is out the tube, and I don't know what we can do. The only thing I get mad at is I get mad when guys like myself, guys talking heads, get on TV and says, we're screwing these kids. We're giving them nothing. Number one, I want all my players to be happy and get as much as they can. But I hate when people tell young black kids getting a free education is nothing. Getting a free education is a really big deal because I think sometimes we, 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 we worry about 
10 guys. There's like, because there's 10 guys who are going to leave college after one year uh, who might get screwed by can't go straight to the NBA. But I worry, I, I worry about the other 99.9% mostly black kids getting that free education. That's all I care about, them getting that education. But now you got this NIL thing, and I don't know what's going to happen. So now coaches, coaches got to be like, I got to go to a school now because what I think is going to happen is I think it's going to really knock things out of whack because these kids are going to be saying now, we got two camps. We got basketball. We got a kid saying, well, wait a minute. I only got to stay in school for six months. Where can I make the most money in six months? Think about that. That's what young basketball players are going to be saying. Yo, man, I only got to go to school for six months. Where can I make the most money in six months? So now the other campus debate uh, the, the football players. Kids going to be saying now, okay, I got to stay in school for three years. Where can I make the most money in three years? And then to compound that, you, you're going to have some kids, and this is what it's going to be like. You got to listen to mom and dad. Son, you're not going to play in the NFL. Where can we make the most money in four years now? If you're a great player, you got an option. You're like, where can I make the most money in three years? But what's going to be interesting going forward, some of these good players who know they're never going to play in the NFL, they're going to say, well, I got to go to this school or this school. That's going to eliminate some of these mid-majors, and I think it's really going to help the big schools. So like I say, Jim, to answer your question, hey, it reeks, it reeks, but the toothpaste is out of the tube, and I'm not sure there's anything you can do about it. Should we just do away with the NCAA? I mean, they've been reforming things for 60 years. They've had that committee, and I think you, it was you last week who so eloquently said, anything that takes four years to decide something like this just sucks. Yeah. Something to that well, effect. First of all, they are the most reactive group of people. They could have nipped this thing in the bud five, ten years ago. They wait to get punched in the face with NIL, and then they change all the rules. To, okay, well, we better do something, or we're gonna lose to NCAA. They go, it goes back to my day, Jim, where they're like, "You're gonna get suspended for getting an extra pair of shoes." I'm like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" They're like, "Charles, we can only give you one pair of shoes." Charles, we can only give you X amount of money for per diem. And now it's gotten worse. It was hundreds of millions of dollars back in my day. Now it's billions. And now I don't, I, I, I don't think they know what they're doing. And I don't know if they can fix it now. But somebody should go in there and say, hey, let's try to make it work for everybody. Instead of us being greedy pigs at the NCAA, let's take care of these kids. Let's make sure they get the education. If they want to go home on spring break or Christmas, let's we can give them money to get on a plane. We ain't got to, you know, you know, do anything overboard. But if a kid want to fly home for Christmas, you know, he's got a month off. Let's help him get home. I mean, simple stuff like that would be better than it's always been. They're like, we can only give you X amount of tickets. You know, man, I got like six brothers and sisters and a mom and dad. Can we squeeze an extra couple of tickets out? I mean, simple stuff like that. 
but they've never used common sense, Jim, because they've been making so much money for so long. Now the employees are rebelling and they just don't know what to do. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a conundrum wrapped inside of an enigma. I mean, you, you look at all these issues. I mean, you see, look at the, the, the transfer pool for one, for one thing. I mean, just the young man, uh, Ewers, that just left Ohio State. You know, you know it was a bidding war, and Texas has the biggest war chest in all the college football to be able to bring him home. Now, things are not working out at your university that you're at. I mean, it's literally a bidding war. Um, and what is he going to do to the high school recruiting, especially in basketball? I had a great conversation with Bruce Pearl about this last year is – um, are you going to be recruiting high school talent? Or are you going to just go into other people's rosters and looking at, you know, guys who've been playing one or two years who have some experience that can be true plug and play players for you? Like what is this going to do to high school recruiting and, and the way kids are being evaluated out of high school if you're not as a blue chipper? Um, so it's got a lot of trickle down effect that, uh, you know, and I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out over the next few years. You know, and Larry, he's a great point because I don't think Jim and I tell people, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to any of these questions. I mean, I don't know what, because what's interesting to me, what what people get paid. I, I've been saying this for years. They're like, well, these players should get paid. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I know it makes great, it makes a great sound bite, bite on television, but I'm saying, are we paying all the players? Because all this money y'all think y'all got, if we pay every college athlete, it ain't that money ain't gonna be as much as y'all think. Do we play the yeah, quarterback? But why are we paying all these coaches all that? We're paying all these coaches all this money. The sneaker companies are making money. The television companies are making money. The institutions are making money. Everybody's making money, and then you get uh, 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 Napier wins a national championship, just like you just said. It can't order a pizza. So come on. I mean, well, well, yes, okay, they deserve saying, some money. What is that sum? I don't know what yeah. that sum is, but it's something is better than nothing. And you talk about a free education. And you worry about a free education. That's great. They should get the education. But none of those kids go to school thinking they're getting an education. They're not student athletes. They're athlete students. They all think they're going there for the dream of being an NBA or an NFL player. And they don't recognize that that dream isn't going to happen until they've lost the opportunity for a free education. The NCAA should mandate right now that you play basketball for three or four years and then you go back to school when you're ready to get your education so that that's available to you for the next 10 years as opposed to when you're trying to become an NBA or an NFL player. That would well, be a benefit one, that would be substantial. Well, uh, number one, you bring, to, you bring up some great points. But my question is, uh, like we talk about this NIL thing, they're only going to pay the running back, the quarterback, the wide receivers, and maybe a great defensive player. That's that's what concerns me about the NIL. They're not going to pay offensive linemen more than likely, uh, defensive linemen, because the wide receiver, the running back, and quarterback, they're the three glamour positions. They're always going to get NIL deals. But, so Jim, let me ask you this question. If your football team is no good, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to just use an example. Kansas. Kansas is great in basketball, and they're not good in football. Are we paying them the same thing? You're asking me or you're asking Larry? You're just asking I'm asking question. you because you're saying like – because like I say, I think at certain well, schools – how much does the take- institution take in? Institution as part well, of their we, conference is taking in money. Some of that should go to the kids, whether you win one I, game or whether you I, win I the agree. national championship. I, I, I agree, but we just have to come up with an equitable solution 
uh, how much everybody should get. But like I say, well, there's going to be a double standard also. Let's take Villanova. Villanova has a lower division one football school. They got a great, great coach and staff uh, and a great basketball program, but they don't get football money. So it's, it's a lot of things that's, that play in this, that, that people, people want to simplify it. Because listen, Kansas basketball should get more money than Kansas football. Okay. Uh, that's just the truth. North Carolina basketball, Duke basketball, should get more money than their football programs. I'm just saying, and Larry said it, it's a conundrum. It's no easy fixes to this entire situation. I mean, because I, I just don't know. Like I, say, right. I want all the players to be you're, taken you're, care of. Well, Jim, Jim, you also have to take in consideration yeah. if you're paying players, you know, from outside of the Power Five conferences, you know, the football revenue and basketball revenue is nowhere near. And nobody can compete with the SEC. So if you're doing a true revenue share, it's not fair. There's the, the athletes in the Pac-10 will make significantly less than the, Pac- than the athletes in the SEC. And so, you know, what you will create there is is division uh, among the ranks. And, and what I think is eventually going to happen is it's going to be 10, maybe 15 schools, and it will just consist of the, you know, true professional amateur sports. Um, it will be the Alabamas and the USC's and the Oklahoma's and the Oregon's and, you know, the true powers of, of college football competing because nobody can nobody can really keep up with this arm race that we're going to be uh, entangled in here in a few years see and and that's that's my biggest problem with this whole thing uh larry said it better than i said it because i get I'm, he, he's better at words than i am jim it, it's really gonna be like i think cincinnati is in the aac if i remember correctly the aac can't compete with the sec and the pac-10 even the big 10 so that's my biggest concern. We're going to have – you talk about the haves and the have-nots. It's going to be the haves and the really have-nots. <laughs> so that's what concerns me. And, and I don't want that because we need those smaller schools because those players, they're getting that education. And that's, that's all I care about. I don't care – man, I wish all these kids could win – but we got all these kids, especially black kids, that we, we're going to have to eventually put out in the world. And if they get out there with no education, I, I just worry. I mean, uh, and, and uh, man, it's, it's, it's it, like Larry said, it. there's no right or wrong answers. It's easy. I tell you, like, I get so mad at guys on TV doing my job talking about we got to pay all these players and we're screwing these kids. I said, calm down. If you got a, a sensible solution or a sensible s- suggestion, but don't just get on TV. And I, and I see it. I've been seeing it for the last five years, not just like last week, last month, or a year ago. For the last five years at least, I see guys who get paid to talk sports just like myself, and I call them. I say, yo, man, don't just get on TV and scream, pay the players. You Give me – I said, let's have a, a, a little quick conversation. Who are we paying? And he says, I don't know that. I said, well, then that's the conundrum. I don't know it. I want all our players taken care of, but it's just not that simple to get on TV and says, we're screwing these players. Everybody's making money. Hey, TNT's making a lot of money. I don't think they're paying me based on what the numbers. We just got sold to A&T for $80 billion. I ain't seen a dime of that $80 billion. I want my cut of that. 
Because, hey, listen, if we sold some for $80 billion, I'm grossly underpaid, Jim. Grossly <laughs> underpaid. <laughs> And Jim, I, I agree I don't, with I don't that. Know if why, I agree. why aren't you? Why aren't you walking out? Why aren't you on strike? And where's your agent now? You thought your first agent was stealing from you. Where is this one hey, now? <laughs> hey, since hey, listen, since I, my, I signed my last big deal, my agent's been at the beach ever since then. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hey, Jim, drastically we... change the subject as we as we wrap this up, if if we can here, uh, Charles. You mentioned the word conundrum. Uh, a few minutes ago in a real conundrum. Well, Larry is, said is, it. I've never friends? used the word conundrum. I, Larry said it, and I just repeat it to sound smart. I've never used the word conundrum in my life. I was just piggybacking on his intelligence. Well, here's a conundrum to all of us. How are you such good friends with Bill Belichick? Bill Belichick comes across as a genius, the greatest coach perhaps ever, and he just doesn't come across as having friends. How are you one of his best friends, and what's that like? I, I got a lot of love for him, a lot of respect. And, you, you know, he's always been there for me. But this is how the, comp- this is how the friendship started. So Mike Fratello, was a, uh, he's still a great friend of mine. And he called me one time when he was coaching the Cavaliers. That's how long me and Coach Bill, Bill been together. And I always go up to Patriots game. I don't like to bother him because he, he, he works all the time. But I try to go up to a, a couple of Patriots games. And so he says, hey, you know Bill Belichick? Because he know football is my love. Jim, you know boxing and football are my two loves. I love those two sports. Yep. I, I, I want to watch boxing and football because, you know, my one day of playing football was the worst day of my life. And I because uh, I, I played football one day, Larry, and it was the worst day of my life. And I remember the last thing Coach said to me. He said, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I said, if you think I'm doing this shit tomorrow, you're out of your freaking mind. They, they put me on the defensive line where you can't hide on the defensive line and offensive line. You get every play. I said, Coach, I really appreciate this opportunity, but I'm not doing this shit tomorrow. I'm not doing this shit ever again. So I fell in love. That day I said, it takes – you have to be – love your sport to play football. And I, so I fell in love. Then boxing, my hit, my hit, one of my heroes is Ali. So football and boxing are my two favorite sports. I love them, so I watch a lot. So to get back to my original thought, uh, Coach Fratello called me. He says, hey, I got a fan who wants to pick your brain a little bit about how you compete and things like that. I says, who is it? He says, Bill Belichick. I said, oh, the coach of the Browns. I says, I would love to. Uh uh, I'm, 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 I would like to get to study from him too. So we end up having dinner back in Cleveland. I think we end up having like three hours just talking about how I want to compete. I was picking his brain and things like that. And cause I always want to learn from somebody who's great at their craft and we developed that friendship and we've been together since then. And seven, uh, six Super Bowls later and things like that. Uh, he's always been there for me, and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, like I say, the crafts treat me great when I go up to Gillette Stadium. Uh, but like I say, man, he's been a friend, and I consider him a good friend. And if he ever needs anything from me, he can get it. I feel like if I ever need something from him, I can get it too. What's the biggest difference you see in him from a public aspect to the guy that you know him as, uh, as a friend? I think he's funny. Uh, I think he's funny. Uh, and, and I've heard other people talk about it. 
You know, Jim, I think in his position, you know, he's he learned the media in New York. I think that you have to factor that in too. We know that New York, Philadelphia, Boston, they're the three toughest places to play in the world. Those three cities. And I think he probably learned when he was an assistant with the Giants and things like that. I can't give them any ammunition because winning football is hard enough. I can't give them any ammunition because I think the one thing that people don't understand, and I learned this firsthand in Philadelphia, when you in one of those big markets, there's so much competition. Like when you're in Philadelphia, you're dealing with the Eagles, the Flyers, the Phillies, Temple, St. Joe's, Villanova. So I think it's just my personal opinion, and you probably know it better because you've been in the business longer than me. I think those people, and, and New York is probably worse. I think those guys who are writing those articles on, and on those talk shows, they're going for blood every day to get their opinion out there. They're going for blood every because it's so competitive. And I, I and like I say, I, we ain't never had no conversation about this, but I think his relationship with the media is, I'm trying to win. I don't have time for this extracurricular bullshit that goes on on talk radio or in a newspaper. I'm going to give y'all zero. That's what I think personally. Because you know, Jim, New York, Boston, Philly, they are different animals. When I got traded to Phoenix, I was like, this is Cupcake Central. <laughs> These guys said the Suns didn't play well last night. I'm like, whoa, that's it? <laughs> hey, I was like, I used to tell the guys, you guys got no idea what it's like to get I used to tell people when they came to Philly, do not turn on your damn radio when we're playing bad. Do not turn on your radio. <laughs> and the headlines are brutal. And my favorite answer from a reporter was, well, you know, I don't write the headline. I said, yeah, the, uh, the article threw me under the bus. The headline, where they just backed up and drove over me a couple times. And <laughs> that's what I think. The, I mean, and that's the difference, though, being in the big city. Uh, but like I say, Phoenix, man, when I got traded to Phoenix, I was like, this is like Cupcake City. You know, I mean, when I was in Philadelphia, some of the stuff they wrote and said about me, I told you, I was telling you earlier, like my last three years, I was like, damn, maybe I do suck as a basketball player. You know, I made the all-star team. I'm playing great, and I'm I'm in the top five and MVP like every year, then y'all trade the number one pick in the draft for a guy who I, who never played with me. Then you traded Moses and my team went down the toilet. And I was like, I was top five NBA candidate for five years in a row. And now we stink. And y'all telling me it's my fault. And y'all traded everybody on my damn team. So they have to blame somebody. <laughs> they have to blame somebody. And I was getting it. And man, uh, when the Suns rescued me, it was a really cool thing. 
As we continue here on Sirius XM, I'm Jim Gray, along with Charles Barkley and Larry Fitzgerald. Let's Go is brought to you by Ring Alarm. It's true, Ring has an award-winning alarm with professional monitoring that you can install yourself in minutes. Go to ring.com forward slash let's go for a special offer on Ring Alarm today. That's ring.com forward slash let's go. Charles, thanks so much for joining us. You're the best to ever do this. You are the best studio analyst, I believe, in the history of sports television. And I believe you're one of four people who people have actually tuned in to watch either during or before or after a game in the history of sports. You, Howard Cosell, John Madden, and Vince Scully. So it's an honor for us to have you on here with us. And well, let me, let me say this. Jim, it. first of all, uh, that's the nicest thing maybe anybody said to me about my career, man. I really appreciate it coming from you, man, because you've seen them all. You've seen them. And I, and I will tell people this. You introduced me to Jack Nicholson, and we went to his house for the week. And it was one of the greatest weeks of my life. And Jack is arguably the coolest celebrity I've ever met. When you says, hey, I got somebody want to talk to you. I said, who? He said, Jack Nicholson. I says, and I said, I told you this story. You won't remember this. I said, yo, man, the first time we played the Lakers, Jack Nicholson said my name. He said, Charles Barkley, welcome to the NBA. I called everybody in my damn family and said, mama, granny, Jack Nicholson knows who I am. And I want to thank you for taking that weekend veil at Jack's house. We played golf every day. We stayed in his house. Aspen. And we played in Aspen, excuse me. And we stayed in his house every night. And we had so he came out and hung out. We went to his house for dinner every night. He had a beautiful cook. And it was just a great week. So I want to thank you for always being a friend. But I want to finish up with saying, I say this, and I just, and I told him this personally, and I've said it anytime I talk on the radio or TV. Uh, in Arizona. He's the greatest athlete we ever had in Arizona. He's a great man, too. He's one of the nicest people I've ever been around. But it's been an honor and privilege to watch Larry play all these years. And when I get a text from Larry saying, hey, come on, let's go. Hell yeah, I'm coming on. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, Uncle Charles. Well, we did, it's, uh, we... Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I love you. I appreciate you. I also want to congratulate you on the new Grandbaby coming uh, in a, in a few weeks, and uh, I know. I'm, official, I know hey, I'm officially getting old. I'm a grandpa. <laughs> you know, we didn't put you on with Tom. Tom Brady uh, also with us here on Let's Go because you said you can't look him in the eyes anymore because he's too beautiful. So we wanted to spare <laughs> hey, you. Hey, that. I told you, <laughs> hey Jim, that's a pretty man. I told you. When uh, when I was up at Foxborough one day, I went up to him after the game. He says, hey, Charles, good to see you. I don't remember anything after that, Larry. Once I looked in his eyes, I was like, I just stared at him. I could like, it was everything. He was like, it was jumbling after that. I said, damn, this is a good looking man. I don't remember anything after that. <laughs> Charles, you tell it like it is. We love you, buddy. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you right, again man. soon, pal. Hey. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you all for having me. Y'all be safe. Happy holidays. Okay. Our happy holidays. You as well. We just heard from a couple of the great experts, and any athlete will tell you that it helps to work with an expert for buying or refinancing a home. Your expert is an independent mortgage broker. Find one at findamortgagebroker.com. It's powered by United Wholesale Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, 
NMLS, number 3038. They're licensed in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. That's findamortgagebroker.com, powered by United Wholesale Mortgage. Our thanks to our producer, Dave the Snake Hagen. Great job today. Production assistance by Harris Fabishoff. And to our sponsors, Mastro's, USAA, Ring, United Wholesale Mortgage, and GoldenNuggetCasino.com. Let's Go with Larry Fitzgerald was produced by 199 Productions in collaboration with Scratchy Productions. I'm Jim Gray, and we'll talk to you again next week right here on Sirius XM. XM Podcasts.